Anna Soper, and this is Teen People, the podcast where I interview people who were in Teen People magazine as young adults. I'm a visual artist and librarian in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, and my guest in this episode is Jenny Gorbach, an early childhood educator and president of the California Kindergarten Association. Jenny has an amazing story to share with me and with you. I found her on Twitter after she posted about the time she was in Teen People magazine with her college sweetheart. Turns out they pranked teen people. They weren't actually a couple when they wrote into the magazine with a fake love note. As Jenny told me, she really just wanted to be in Teen People, the magazine that she read and enjoyed. They figured a cooked up love story would do the trick. And it kind of did. Not only did they end up in Teen People, they fell in love. Today, Jenny and Dan Gorbach are the parents of two little ones. Jenny spoke with me in the summer of 2021 and began by walking me through the cover of the April 2004 issue of Teen People, the first of two appearances Jenny and her husband made in Teen People magazine. You can find the matching pictures Jenny shared with me on my Twitter and Instagram at TeenPeoplePod. was released in April 2004. It has Julia Stiles on the cover and it's hot pink. Um, <laughs> above her, there's Ashton Kutcher, Britney Spears, Omarion, I don't remember his last name, um, Hilary Duff and Chad Michael Murray. Go Quiz Crazy, um, Celeb Scoops, Mary-Kate and Ashley Prom Prep. <laughs> Bam's mom tells all. Oh, he's still in the news. Um, Omarion's painful story. Uh-oh. Um, virginity. True stories. Um, Julia Styles on flirting and making the first move. Sexy new jeans. Oh gosh, remember 2000s jeans? 20 teens will change the world. So I am not a cover story at all. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the way this started, in late high school, probably senior year, I, you know, I read these magazines and I, one of the pages said like, be a teen people trend spotter. And I was like, okay. And so I wrote in and I said, I want to be a teen people trend spotter. Actually, I think it was via email. This was probably in 2002. And I gave them my information. I don't remember what being a trend spotter entailed. I think they sent me a lot of quizzes, like, do you like this fashion and things like that. I do remember they sent me chapstick or lip gloss. And I love that, you know, I wanted the freebies. <laughs> and I think I gave a review of it. I wish I remembered more. But so part of that was I got an email that said, teen people shout outs, do you want to do a shout out? And so this fast forward to college. So I'm not telling the story very well. So I entered college as a trend spotter. It wasn't a huge part of my life. I, I read the magazine. I loved it. Um, I liked teen people because I was kind of a budding feminist. Um, but I still, you know, I still read Cosmo. So I wasn't like a true feminist, <laughs> but like I knew about Photoshop and I knew about, you know, body image disorders and, you know, things like that. And so I, I was sensitive to 
the media I consumed. It didn't prevent me from having <laughs> disordered body image, but you know, I was aware of it. And so I liked teen people in that they tried to be, they seemed to try to be a little different. So, so I felt good being involved with that. So I entered college, I was put in the dorms. The first day I met my roommate and we moved in and we were, you know, making our rooms all cute and, and we didn't meet anyone. We just stayed in our room and made our rooms cute. And she was awesome. Like a lot of people get really weird roommates, but she was a really great roommate. Like we, we got along right away. So then the next day, the second day of college, I started walking around the dorm, kind of meeting people. And I met this guy who is my future husband's roommate. His name is Jason. He'll probably, I don't know. I'll send this to him. Um, and he was wearing a necklace with a giant Hebrew letter. That's the high. It's like two Hebrew letters and it had like blinging diamonds on it. And, and, I, and so I, I knew since it was a Hebrew letter, I knew, oh, he's Jewish. So I was like, I'm Jewish too. And I got all excited. I had never seen anyone wear a necklace like this, like outside of, you know, <laughs> not even in movies. Like I've never seen that. Um, and I grew up in a place where there weren't a lot of other Jewish kids. I grew up in the Bay area um, and it was very, very diverse, but I just didn't have a big community of other Jewish people. So I was so excited to meet this guy. I was like, I'm Jewish too. And of course he was like, yay, <laughs> I'm so happy. And he's like, I'm going to pledge the Jewish fraternity and oh, come meet my roommate. And he introduced me to his roommate, Dan, the man. And he said, he's Jewish too. He's going to join the Jewish fraternity with me. And I was like, oh, hi, <laughs> nice to meet you. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time. So like that, oh, hi was like, he's cute, but you know, nothing serious. Um, I also met my future uh, best friend and maid of honor and at that same time and this is Samantha and the boys remember that she was not wearing shoes she was just walking around the dorm <laughs> shoeless and they thought that was weird I didn't notice that um, and so I met my husband and my best friend at the same time we went to a party that night because she on the first night met an older guy <laughs> and I won't give too many details about that but so that guy invited her to a party and she brought all of us like dumb freshman kids just like, <laughs> so excited to go to our first college party and I remember standing around a keg with Dan who's my my husband now and I remember thinking who is this guy he was saying all these like he must have been just nerdy like nerdy and trying to look cool he was wearing a leather jacket <laughs> and and then from then on we just became really good friends Samantha, my future best friend and maid of honor, um, and Dan, and a lot of the other guys in his in his um, fraternity, they eventually pledged, and a lot of the people on our dorm, we just hung out a lot, and we're best friends, you know, a lot. We just hung out, and that was the best part of college. Like that, I feel so bad for kids who aren't getting that experience this year and last year in 2020. Sure, college is about learning and studying and growing into your career, but it's also growing into who you are meeting yourself away you know from the shelter of your parents in kind of a safe environment like in the dorms people are still cooking for you, <laughs> you <know. laughs> like that um it was such a wonderful experience i think it was in november or december I, I was no longer with my high school boyfriend teen people sent an email that said give a shout out we'll feature you whatever you know it didn't make a big deal dan was in my room when i got the email um, cause we hung out all the time. I had a TV in my dorm and no one else did. So <laughs> my room you were um, popular. Yeah. And I had a mini fridge, so I had, you know, all the cool stuff. So I got that and we were like brainstorming, like, how can I get featured in this magazine? And I was like, well, this magazine's all about teens. We should pretend that I have a 
deep crush on you? And he was like, yes, <laughs> we should. So we wrote this little note together that was basically, <laughs> they edited it, I think, but I think the original one said, we're best friends. And I just wanted to tell you that I think I'm falling in love with you. And I know that the best way to tell you is through teen people because you read teen people. <laughs> every month and I just thought this was the best reason. I like went on and on about how much he loves teen people and they cut that <laughs> it was such a ridiculous thing to say and he didn't read teen people you know he was a boy <laughs> so um then they they told us that we were going to be in the magazine and they asked for a picture so we um we we're like oh we have to look all American you know because <laughs> we want to look you know really cute and 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 fun and so I remember making him put on his um UCSB which is the college you're going to University of California in Santa Barbara um sweatshirt so that he'd look you know like all American and he put college on boy. backwards yeah oh just he just looked so darling um <laughs> and we took it we did a little photo shoot that's us Aww. and so they told us that we were going to be in they asked us for the pictures and then we um we were told that in it would be released in April and so it turned out to be April 21st. And the way I re reason I remember that actual date is because we were walking towards the liquor shop that would sell, sells magazines. And we had to stop to vote for his friend for president of the Hillel, which is the like Jewish community <laughs> campus. And then as we were walking towards the shop, Dan stopped and he said, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I was wondering if you would be my girlfriend. And we had already been like kissing sometimes. And like, so we knew and we were on the phone all the time. So this was after like fast forward from being best friends to kind of secretly being together. Um, and then he asked me to be his girlfriend on the day that we went to pick up this magazine. <laughs> and later when we got married, we, we got married on the same date on April 21st. Wow. So we got the magazine. I was all giddy because I was like, oh yeah, he's my boyfriend. Um, and then we went to go show everybody the magazine. I might be getting these, this story wrong. If Dan was here, he would be correcting me right now. <laughs> but, um, so in the magazine, it's, it, it looks like a cork board, the way they made it look. Um, and they have little digital images of push pins and they have these papers that look like post-its and like ripped paper. And it says, dear Dan, I have felt a spark between us ever since I first saw you. I think I love you. I don't know how you feel about me, but I had to tell you somehow. Jenny Bruce, age 19, Santa Barbara, California. <laughs> wow. And you're right. That's analog. I mean, it's a throwback to an old sort of bulletin board. And, and it looked like they were trying to, to replicate something we would do now in a tweet. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Hilarious. Wow. Oh, so funny. So, so did you buy one copy of the magazine or two copies? How enmeshed were you? Oh, we bought like 12 copies. We bought oh. them before. <laughs> we sent them to our mothers. Dan had like siblings, they all bought them. And like we 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 were shouting from the rooftops. We were so excited about it. <laughs> it was fake, but it's not fake anymore. <laughs> And now we only have one copy. I don't know what's happened over the years. Um, we only have this copy and the the second magazine, we keep them in a fireproof box with our with our passport and our, our like social security card. All the important things. Wow. <laughs> Gosh. 
So at what point did Teen People magazine realize that uh, there was something real going on here? Oh gosh. Okay. So the next one came out in February of 2005. So it must've been shortly after, like, I wonder if I emailed them or if they had another thing. I think Teen People sent me an, a follow-up trend spotter email for more shout outs. I think that's what happened. Um, and I responded at, so it was after this, after we were boyfriend and girlfriend, after the magazine came out, the first one, I think I sent them an email that was just like, Hey, we were not being totally honest <laughs> the first time, but now we're really in, in love. I don't know if we were said in love yet. We were still young, but <laughs> now we're boyfriend and girlfriend. And I, I might've just thanked them or, you know, I don't even think I said like, do you want to feature us or anything like that? But then they got excited about that. And they're like, oh my goodness, we have to feature you. And so what happened was they wanted to interview both me and Dan separately. We had to be in different, you know, places. And I... I rem I think one of us was on the beach because our school was a beach school. I can't remember if it was me or him who was interviewed while we were on the beach, but we were definitely on the beach, one of us, on cell phones. They asked us the same questions and we just kind of, I don't know if it was like to see if we were legit <laughs> or not. <laughs> Probably good journalism right there. The next one came out in February 2005. It has Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen on the cover. One of them has brown hair and one of them has blonde hair in this cover. Their hair looks amazing. I love it. Things on this cover are bonus two Eminem locker posters inside, which is very exciting. Dojo is here. Um, what's next? Good question. Um, the best jeans for your body. Team people was really pushing the jeans trend, weren't they? Get a date by Friday. Oh, here, this is us. Ah, oh, real life love stories. Major drama couldn't keep them apart. Plus your romance forecast. So maybe they did a call for real life love stories. And that was, that must have been what it was. We got a whole quarter page feature. Wow. Um, which is huge. I mean, that's like, I've like had a full career now and I haven't had any, any features this big. The, the quote that they pulled out and made really big it says people were always saying you guys are perfect for each other and the title of this um our little section is best friends turned couple thanks to teen people <laughs> it sounds like they had a huge role in bringing you together yeah i mean really we were like walking to pick up the magazine when he asked me to be his girlfriend which is just so cute i just think it's so nice i remember being really annoyed because we were talking about how he asked me to go to his fraternity's formal. And what he did was he left flowers on, like under this log on the beach. And he, we went on like this beach walk and like he surprised me with the flowers. And it was like so teen and so adorable. Um, they, she asked me what kind of flowers they were. And I, I told her and it was lilies. And so in the article she wrote that they were my favorite flower. And I remember being really annoyed <laughs> because those are not my favorite flowers. What's your favorite flower? <laughs> sunflowers oh of course <laughs> yes from california yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and you know we featured them heavily in our wedding of course but um i just thought it was so like just thinking back now it's like what a silly thing to care about <laughs> <laughs> well actually i'm a gardener i don't think that's a silly thing to care about because we all have our own favorite flowers and favorite plants i think i like poppies personally that thank you for making me feel better. I always felt like so silly for like 
<laughs> being annoyed that they got my flower. And I blamed Dan. I was like, why'd you tell him that was my favorite flower? But like, <laughs> sure it was just because those are the flowers that he left under the, the log on the beach. <laughs> what color were the lilies? Do you remember? Oh, um, I mean, they were just like grocery store lilies. <laughs> like, I think they were white maybe some pinks. I don't really, I don't have a strong memory of it because nothing was, you know, we didn't have, we all were about to get Facebook because when Facebook was early, university students could get Facebook and we were some of the early adopters, um, but they, you couldn't even upload photos when it first came out. So I had a digital camera that I would like bring to parties with me, but you had to like plug it into your computer and then print the pictures or email them. So it was like, we don't have everything documented. I'm sure if that happened, you know, today, I wouldn't have a picture of the flowers and I could just send it to you. <laughs> I remember, you know, when I was a late teen, early college student, early 20s, I wanted to be famous. You know, being in this magazine was like my closest thing to being, you know, being recognized. Nobody ever recognized me, of course, obviously. But like, I, that was something I wanted. I wanted this fame. I wanted to be recognized on the streets. I was, you know, I didn't understand what these women were going through in their, you know, formative years until, you know, much later, probably closer to my thirties. I finally was like, oh, that looks terrible. <laughs> Why would I ever want that? And I'm so grateful that I ended up going into teaching instead of you know, acting or, you know, something else, fashion probably would have, you know, been more of a spotlight. And it's like, I feel, I, I say this a lot, like in the classroom or on the, the school campus, um, I feel like I have a little bit of that celebrity, like the good part, you know, because kids who were your former students, they'll like freak out if they see you across the hall and Mrs. Gorbeck, Mrs. Gorbeck. And they're like, you know, it feels like, the best part of fame, but then you can like, you know, shrink back into quiet and not be, you know, still have privacy. <laughs> when I had my older daughter five years ago, I stepped out of the classroom. Um, I was teaching TK, which is a California um, version of pre-K um, and it's in the public schools and you have to have a teaching credential and early childhood education units. So that's kind of where I came from. Um, and so I have been involved in this organization for many years. It's wonderful. We support teachers, um, early childhood teachers, because the teaching kindergarten and TK and pre-K is different from any other grade. A lot of times teachers get their teaching credential and are just thrown into, you know, whatever grade has an opening. And sometimes that's kindergarten and they need to learn quickly, you know, about kindergartners who are their own creatures. <laughs> So we have a conference every year and we do professional development workshops and we just try to support teachers as much as we can. And so I've kind of just been with the organization for quite a few years. And this year I just started being the president of the organization of the board of the California Kindergarten Association. Interesting timing because of the pandemic as well to take on a, a role like that at this time. It's been really interesting. We started doing um, bi-weekly bi teacher support chats where we just open our Zoom and let people come in and, and some of them had themes and some of them different, you know, and we always just kind of asked teachers, what's going on? Are you in person? Are you distance? What are you finding? And, and it kind of, as someone who's not in the classroom, I kind of could feel a shift through the year, you know, as like panic and then kind of calm and then more panic. And, you know, it kind of came in waves. Um, but these teachers are 
amazing. It is insane that so many people dropped everything they could do to support their kid, their students, however they could. It's just so inspiring. And I kind of feel like I missed, like, like, it feels like those teachers all paid their dues. And since I wasn't in the classroom, like I kind of missed something that I think future teachers will bond over. And I didn't have that. <laughs> What's the most inspiring story that you've heard through those chats? Oh gosh, that's a great question. And I, I don't have a good answer. I think just hearing hearing how teachers of really low income um, groups of children find ways to get them supplies so that they can do learning. Like we really are passionate about learning through play. So we're not doing, you know, flashcards. We don't tell people to just do worksheets. We want kids to be playing with Play-Doh and, you know, sand and different things like that. And if your school district doesn't have the money for those supplies, what are you going to do? You know, we can't, we don't make tons of money. We can't buy, you know, giant things of Play-Doh for everybody. So um, just kind of sharing ways to support your students with hands-on materials without, you know, the funds to do so is just fascinating. And, and they get so creative and, you know, teachers are so amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're all a bunch of frontline workers, literally. They are. Yeah. I have to say they, because I was not out <laughs> on the front lines, but it's just so inspirational to hear, you know, all of the things that they've done. Mm. And what is the worst thing that you've heard in the last few months? I follow a, a Twitter account that features school staff who passed away from the coronavirus. Um, just to kind of give them their moment, you know, that they're remembered and appreciated. And a lot of them are support staff, bus drivers, cafeteria workers, you know, office staff, um, the, the more older people. And it's just heartbreaking to think about, you know, those people's families and they're just, you know, trying to help the kids of their community. And just to think about the kids in the community who have to deal with that loss, it's just heartbreaking. And, and think about all those people who didn't get a chance to travel to go to funerals or, you know, properly grieve with their family and loved ones, because especially in the beginning, we stayed home, you know, like we didn't know what was safe. We, we just knew sticking to your bubble was the safest thing to do. And, and so many people didn't get a chance to, you know, do last goodbyes or, you know, grieve properly. And I'm hoping that they get support mental health support and to be able to truly grieve the people they lost through this process Jenny and I spoke, library workers and school library collections have come under increased scrutiny, both in Canada and the United States. A generation that lapped up Fifty Shades of Grey a decade ago now can't bear to have their children read about gender identity or the Holocaust or civil rights. Why are our libraries filled with pornography? Asked one parent at a November 2021 school board meeting in Texas. There are lots of reasons why library materials might be removed from a collection. Sometimes books are withdrawn in response to a complaint. 
Sometimes we might remove a book because it's in poor condition or it hasn't gone out in 25 years. There are established practices to guide this process of selection and deselection. Library workers should be trusted to make these decisions without fear of reprisal. Sometimes books are discarded all at once when a library closes. What happens then? Jenny found out when she was offered her pick of the books in a school library that was closing down. I asked her about this story and asked her to tell me about her favorite children's authors. Okay, so I should explain that I am an aspiring picture book author. Um, I am, I have a few manuscripts that I'm right now trying to find a literary agent and a publisher, and it is a long process. I've been working on it for about 10 years and I'm still, you know, I'm closer, but I'm still not doing it. Um, I read somewhere that something like 80% of all people think they'll write a book someday, which is just it's a long process. And so, um, but I've always had this passion for picture books. I've always loved them. Um, and so that that experience, when I was a, uh, I was in um, my teacher program in Santa Barbara. Um, and so they reached out to all of the future teachers and they said, come, we're closing the library. And, you know, it's kind of sad that they were closing the library, but they said, take as many as you want. And we got this huge cart. And I, so I live about six or seven hours north of Santa Barbara. And I just remember my car just like, like, the weight of all the books was just like making it sink into the road like I would I would put along like even slower than normal because I had so many books in my trunk and my parents were so sweet they built a shed in the backyard like in the side of the house to house all my books until I had my own classroom and then you know we pulled them out and we organized my mom sat in my classroom with me and helped me organize them we put stickers on you know we organized them by theme I don't know if that offends you as a librarian <laughs> but we organized them all and I, I you know because new teachers aren't given this class library you might be given a stipend of maybe a hundred dollars to get what you need for your classroom but you're not you don't start a classroom with a huge library of books but I huh. did because I had this experience and they were all you know old book like they were some of them were like this book should not be in print and it is not in print anymore <laughs> But I was thinking, you know, I was trying to think, I didn't know where I would be teaching. I was trying, I knew I wanted kindergarten. So I took only picture books and I was thinking, you know, I'll probably need some in Spanish. I might need some in Mandarin or Cantonese. And I tried to like, get a big variety. So your question, I cannot answer <laughs> my favorite. I think um, if you had asked me this question a few years ago, I would have said Roald Dahl. Um, I named my daughter Matilda. Um, I'm a huge fan of Roald Dahl, but learning more about his personal life yeah. um, as a Jewish family and he was an anti-Semite it's, it's a little bit I have very complicated feelings about him but I still do love his work and you know there's this whole conversation of like can you appreciate the art and not the artist and and so I have complicated feelings about him so I can't say him <laughs> right now I would say I, I think more in terms of books than authors but um anything but illustrated by or written by O.G. Mora I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, she does this beautiful like collage, very colorful work. There's one called Thank You Amu. And it's about this woman who makes this big pot of stew and people around the town smell it and they come and she keeps sharing her stew. And then at the end, when it's time for her dinner, the stew pot is empty, but the people in the town come and bring her, the, the city, I guess, bring her a dinner and they have a, like a dinner together as a wow. community. It's, it's a beautiful story. Hmm. Um, 
also has one called Saturday about a girl and her mom. The mom works um, six days a week and they look forward to Saturday every week and then everything they do, they have like routines and everything's going wrong on the Saturday. My kids could sit and just look at these pictures and they do, you know, sometimes like they'll just sit and just stare at the pictures and notice new details. She makes beautiful books. So I, I'll say her, but I guess if you asked me in an hour, I would have a different one and <laughs> a different one. And I just, we read um, at least five picture books a day and I track them on one of my Instagram pages. Yeah, <laughs> so I noticed that. We're picture book people. So <laughs> The best thing about libraries and like for me, picture book areas, but I, I'm sure it could be any, you know, section of the library is when you're, you know, just looking through the stacks, you have no, you know, nothing you're looking for. And the flood of nostalgia that just hits you when you see a book that you haven't remembered, you didn't know you remembered, you see a book that you have fond memories of reading as a child and just hugging, you know, just pulling it off the stacks and just hugging it in the slice. That, I think that feeling is why I want to write picture books. You know, I want to give people that feeling. Mm, wow. And that really speaks to the materiality of books too and print, which is, you know, something we're shifting away from as a society now. Yeah, but I don't think we're shifting away from it for picture books. I think I agree. will always be tangible. Yes. I mean, you can get ebooks, versions of picture books. And YouTube, like I said, I watch books with my kids on YouTube sometimes um, with read aloud. But there's something about turning a page and discovering something new with the child in your lap that, you know, I don't think that'll ever go away. Hmm. My last question for you is, I think that's my last question. Yeah, it is my last question. Um, you were 19 when you were in Teen People the first time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, what advice would you give your 19-year-old self today? Oh, goodness. That is such a good question. I think I spent a lot of my 20s being overly concerned about what other people think and feel. Um, and now that I'm in my 30s, and I know this happens to most people, like, and I just couldn't get it earlier, um, it's just be true to who you are, stand up for yourself, you know, recognize your own goals, recognize your own needs, and be comfortable sharing those people are okay hearing your needs and, you know, respecting your, your boundaries and things like that. So that's what I would tell myself because I, I always was very concerned with being nice and making other people feel good. And, you know, if someone was like in my professional world, if someone was very, very confident about doing something for the children, like teaching that I thought was not the right thing to do, I might not have spoken up as loudly as I would now. So I would hope that if I could go back, I would tell my 19 year old self to speak up looking back on, you know, uncomfortable situations that I've been in in the past and, and thinking about how I handled them and thinking how I would have wanted to handle them has informed my, you know, situation. I think I'm still learning to be a, a leader right now. I, it's my first year. It's hard to be a leader. I don't like uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> I don't like conflict. And, and luckily, you know, we're all kindergarten teachers basically. And so there's not a lot in that situation of, of conflict, but still there are some times where we disagree and, and um, I have to take a moment and think about how people I respect, my past presidents in the organization specifically have handled situations like this and, and it inspires me to stand up and speak out when needed.
And you also, I think, have the freedom in some ways to have taken that responsibility on at this time. It means you can maybe be a little um, more independent from those, those predecessors because this is such an unusual time. Yeah, definitely. Nobody has been in this position before. Nobody has guided teachers through a pandemic before. And so nobody's going to hold us, hold it against us if the way we supported teachers wasn't exactly right, because we're learning as we go and we're changing and, and adapting just like everybody else. The other question I had for you, and I don't know if you want to answer this or can, but I asked you, what advice would you give your teenage self? Do you know, do you happen to know or can guess what advice your husband might give his teenage self? <laughs> oh, um, I think he would probably say something similar. He isn't as concerned with being, you know, mild mannered and nice as I am, but I still think he would, his pep talk would be, be more confident, um, you know, but he was kind of confident. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, I don't want to speak for him. I think that's fair. He's happy with who he is. <laughs> I think being a female was growing up as a teenager in the early 2000s was rough, rougher for, you know, our psyches than it was for a man. <laughs> Jenny has found a literary agent, so congratulations to her on that huge milestone. You can find her on social media through the links in my notes for this episode, and find me on Twitter and Instagram at teenpeoplepod, and on Tumblr, of course, teenpeoplepod.tumblr.com. Got a love story you want to share? Doesn't matter if you never made it in Teen People magazine. Tag me on Twitter, or why not share it in a review of this episode? I'm Anna Soper, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Teen People. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>